0: This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Okay, if you'll open your Bibles to Ephesians 5 this morning, we are continuing in our study a Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. And last time we were talking about the Holy Spirit. We finished up week before last we were in verse 18. He says be filled with the Spirit. And what we're talking about today are the implications of that. How that fleshes itself out in our lives and marriage and relationships. In all kinds of ways, what difference does it make when we're filled with the Holy Spirit? How does the Spirit stimulate us? And so let's talk about the stimulating power of the Holy Spirit. And to do that, let's look at Ephesians 5, and we're going to begin in verse 18 and move through the end of chapter 5. So follow along with me. Paul says, And do not get drunk with wine. For that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And we thank you for the potential that we have, if we know Jesus, to live life not on our own, but in the power of the Spirit. We don't have to do relationships or marriage on our own. We can do that with You. And so, Father, we pray that Christ would be at the center of our lives, of our homes, that as we live in the power of the Spirit, that it would be absolutely transforming in the area of our walk with you, and in the area of our relationship to other people. Speak now to your servants, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. During the 1930s, during the Great Depression, there was a man in West Texas by the name of Yates. And like many folks back in those days, he was struggling to get by, was really in danger of losing his ranch. Uh, All he could do to try to keep his family fed, keep clothes on their backs. And one day, a seismographic crew from an oil company showed up at his door and they asked him for permission to drill on his land. They had reason to think there may be oil on it. And he gave them permission. And at 1115 feet, they struck it. The first well came back at over 80,000 barrels of oil a day. And subsequent wells on his property would yield more than double that. And Mr. Yates owned it all. But here's the question. Had he owned it all just from the day that he gave them permission to drill? Or had he owned it all from the day that he purchased the land? Obviously He had owned it all from the day that he purchased the land, and yet he and his family were living like paupers. Many Christians live like spiritual paupers because they're not living in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now what's that all about? Well, as we saw last week in in verse 18, as Paul begins his discussion of the Holy Spirit, He says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Martin Lloyd-Jones was probably the greatest preacher of the 20th century. But before he went into the ministry, Lloyd-Jones was a medical doctor. In fact, he was a brilliant physician and was in line to become physician to the royal family. But Lloyd-Jones, in talking about Ephesians 5.18, said this, He says alcohol, pharmacologically speaking, is not a stimulant. It is a depressant. It depresses the highest centers of the brain that control everything that gives a person self-control, wisdom, understanding, judgment. In other words, everything that makes a person behave at his very best and highest. What the Holy Spirit does, however, is the exact opposite. If if it were possible to put the Holy Spirit in a textbook of pharmacology, I would put him under the stimulants. He stimulates our every faculty, the mind and the intellect, the heart and the will. Well, in the verses that follow, what we see is how the Holy Spirit stimulates us, the difference that He makes in all of life, the difference that He makes in relationships, and particularly the difference that the Holy Spirit makes in marriage. Well, first of all, let's talk about the stimulating power of the Spirit in all of life. In, in verses 19 through 21, we, we see five participles here that, uh, that really unpack the difference that the Spirit makes really in, in all of life. First of all, we see that the Spirit stimulates praise. The Spirit stimulates praise. Verse 19, he says that when we're filled with the Spirit, what are we going to be doing? We're going to be addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. The Spirit-filled life is a praising life. Psalm 71 and verse 8 says, My mouth is filled with Your praise and with Your glory all the day. Why? Because the focus should be on God all the day. And and as we're focused on Him, it leads us to praise. We're focused on Him. We're to focus on Him. Not on circumstances, but on the God who reigns over all of our circumstances. Not, Not on our problems, but on the God who reigns over all of our problems. We have to learn how to glance at our circumstances, glance at our problems and gaze upon the Lord and keep him at the center all day. And we're going to be filled with, with praise. The spirit-filled life is a, a life of praise. The spirit stimulates praise. Second, the spirit stimulates gratitude. It stimulates gratitude. Let's look at verse 20. He says that when we're filled with the Spirit, we're going to be giving thanks. Always And for everything. To God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks when? Always. Okay? For what? For everything. Now let's be reminded of the circumstances of Paul's life when he writes these words. He's not luxuriating in a Mediterranean villa somewhere. He's not in an ivory tower. Where is Paul when he writes these words? He's in prison for the gospel. And yet he says that we to be giving thanks always and for everything. And this is not the only verse where Paul says things like this. He says it regularly in his letters. For instance, in 1 Thessalonians 5, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. How can we do that? How can we give thanks in all circumstances? Unless... We understand that God is involved in all of our circumstances. When we understand that God is involved in all of our circumstances, then and only then are we able to give thanks in all our circumstances. When we understand that, that God is taking all circumstances and, and bending them, using them, uh, working them together for our good and for His glory. Look at Romans 8:28. Paul says there, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to His purpose. And so our thanksgiving is not so much directed to our circumstances, but to the God who reigns over our circumstances and who is causing everything to work together for our good. And so the Spirit stimulates Gratitude. Third, the Spirit stimulates humility. He stimulates humility. Verse 21, he says that when we're Spirit-filled, we're going to be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And what this means is that we rank the needs of others above our own. It means that we rank ourselves beneath the the, the needs of others. That we put others first, in other words. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Now you think about relationships where people are doing this. Okay, think about think about a, a, a he's writing here to a church. Okay, so think about a church where everybody is seeking to put others above themselves. Okay, everybody's uh, seeking to as Romans twelve ten says, outdo one another in showing honor. You know, where everybody's seeking to honor others, put the needs of others at first. Think about how that works in any team of people, whether it's a team of people that you work with. Uh, think about how that works in the context of the family, because that's where Paul was going next. Think about how that works in the context of marriage. Think about a marriage in which both the husband and the wife are seeking to put the other person first and showing consideration for the needs of the other person above their own. Listen, when you've got two humble Spirit-filled people in a marriage. That is a recipe for happiness. When you've got two selfish people in a marriage, that's a recipe for something that's a lot closer to hell. And what Paul is going to do now is move directly from verse 21, where he says we're to be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, move directly into marriage and talk about how does this flesh itself out in marriage? Okay, when you've got spirit-filled husbands and wives, how does this flesh itself out? When, when both the husband and the wife have a humble spirit, a servant spirit, when they're both seeking to outdo one another and showing honor to one another, you know, in, in humility they're counting the other person more significant than themselves, what does marriage look like? And so, let's talk about that. The stimulating power of the Spirit in marriage. Now, before we get into he's going to address wives, and then he's going to address husbands. But before we even get into that, we need to see kind of the, the, the overall background to these verses. Because this is the amazing thing. It's incredible. God has designed marriage... To mirror the relationship between Christ, the bridegroom, and the church, His bride. This has been a mystery. Okay, but now this mystery is being revealed. And so, first of all, in verses 22 through 24, He addresses wives. And He says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is Himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Lots of misunderstandings about these verses. Lots of understandings about, uh, misunderstandings about submission. Okay, what is it? What is it not? Well, when Paul talks to wives here, and he says, wives submit to your husbands, um, in verse 22... We have to understand that and read it in the context of verse 21. Because what did he say in verse 21? We're to be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And in verse 21, he's not just talking to wives. He's talking to any believer, okay? Man or woman, husband or wife, okay? If you are a Spirit-filled Christian, then you're going to have a humble, submissive Spirit, you're going to be putting the needs of other people above your, yourself, and humility counting others more significant than yourselves. Okay, that's, that's all of us, okay? So you have to understand verse 22, when he talks about the submission of the wife, in the context of what he says to all of us in verse 21. Now, that does not negate the responsibility of the husband to lead. It does, however, dictate how he is to lead. Okay, he is to lead, not as a dictator, but as a servant. Okay, with a, a servant uh, spirit. Um, and so, that's the first thing. Understand it in the, con- in the overall context of uh, verse 21. Uh, second, we need to understand um, that when he talks about the submission of the wife, he is in no way implying inferiority. I think many people in our culture think of it that way. That's, that's absolutely not what he's talking about here. And we know that because going all the way back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1 and 2, when, when God creates humanity, he creates both men and women in what? In the image of God. And so the Bible is clear from the beginning of the Bible to the end that men and women are completely equal in in value and in personhood. Paul says in Galatians 3.28, For in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. So in no way does submission imply inferiority. It also does not mean that the wife is supposed to to follow blindly, you know, in a blind, unquestioning kind of way. Wives, this does not mean that you're wrong to ask questions. Um, In fact, in a healthy marriage... When there's any major decision, the husbands and wives are going to be talking about these things together. You're making decisions about money, you're making decisions about children, I mean, anything like that. Husbands and wives are going to be talking through things together. It's not wrong for the wife to question. In fact, if the husband is filled with the Spirit and he's, got a, a, he's, he's putting the needs of his wife above his own, he's going to be asking for her counsel. You know, husbands, we're going to be asking... We wouldn't think about making any kind of major decision without uh, getting their counsel and being considerate for you know, what their, their feelings are. Um, and then, obviously, submission does not mean that, God forbid, should your husband uh, go and do something sinful, it does not mean that wives are to follow their husbands into sin because your first loyalty is to Christ. What it does mean is that, wives, the, the posture of your heart is that you want to follow His leadership. You're cheering for Him. You're praying for Him. And, and, you, and you're, you're, the posture of your heart is that you, you want to follow His servant leadership. Um, if you were just to say, wives, hey, you know, I'm not going to follow some man. I'm not going to follow my husband. Okay, that's a spiritual problem. Just like it would be a spiritual problem if he views himself as uh, your boss instead of as a servant, a servant leader in the home. Okay, so that's wives. Now, he addresses husbands. Husband spends like three times as much... uh, Print on us as He does our, our wives. Okay, husbands. Uh, verses 25 and following. He says, Husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church. Now this is key. Um, husbands, were to love our wives as Jesus loved the church. So the question for us as husbands is how did Christ love the church? church because that's how we're supposed to love our wives. So let's, let's look at that. How does Christ love His church? First of all, with a sacrificial love. With sacrificial love. Verse 25 again. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and what? And gave Himself up for her. Christ laid down His life for the church on the cross. And even before Calvary, how did Jesus treat His disciples? Even though He was the leader, He was the servant. It was Jesus who was getting down on His knees and getting a towel and washing their dirty feet. And so husbands, when we think about the sacrificial love that we're called to have for our wives, think about... How Christ has loved us. Think about the images of the towel and the cross. That we're to be a a servant to our wives and our families. And that we're to be willing to die for them if necessary. And so we're to love them with a, a sacrificial love. Second, how did Christ love the church? With a purifying love. Verses 26 and 27. He says that He might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Men, what this means is that we're to care about the soul of our soulmate. We're, we're to care about her spiritual growth. We're to do everything that we can to facilitate the spiritual growth of our wives. Not by nagging them, but by doing things that would, that would help her to grow. Okay? Praying together. Talking about the truth of God's Word. Talking about Scripture together. Doing, arranging life so that she's got time to be in the Word. And time to cultivate friendships with, with other women that can help her to grow in Christ. Caring for the soul of our soulmate. And then, Christ loved the church with caring love. With caring love. Verses 28 and following. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of His body. Now the terms nourish and cherish here really speak to Christ's tender, attentive care for us, for the church. And husbands, we're called to have that same kind of tender, attentive care for our wives. And as we love her with that kind of a, care, of a caring love, guess who we're also loving in a way? Ourselves. Why? Because we're now one flesh with our wives. And so as we love her, in a way Paul says, we're also loving ourselves. And John Piper in his book Desiring God just puts this, there's a chapter on marriage in that book. And that chapter alone is worth the price of the book. But Piper says this in Desiring God. He says, Husbands should devote the same energy and time and creativity to making their wives happy that they devote naturally to making themselves happy. The result will be that in doing this, they will make themselves happy. For he who loves his wife loves himself. Since the wife is one flesh with her husband. The same applies to her love for him. Husbands and wives, recognize that in marriage you have become one flesh. If you live for your private pleasure at the expense of your spouse, you are living against yourself and destroying your joy. But if you devote yourself with all your heart to the holy joy of your spouse, you will be living for your joy and making a marriage after the image of Christ and His church. Wow. We're to love one another with a, a caring love. And then, how does Christ love the church? With committed love. With committed love. Verse 31. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother. He's quoted here, quoted here from Genesis. A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. To love one another as Christ loves us means that we hold fast to one another through thick and thin, through sickness and in health, through the times of joy, and through the dark times. Aren't you glad that Christ didn't let go of you during the tough times? During the hard times? And listen, listen, we need to say this honestly. I'm not sure this is said honestly enough in church, frankly, because we can come to church with a smile and and uh, and everything and pretend like everything's okay in our lives and everything is okay in our marriages. But listen, we need to be honest. And after more than 22 years as a pastor, I am convinced that most marriages go through some very dark times for a couple of reasons. First of all. Because of our sin. Let me me tell you what's true of you if you're married today. You're married to a sinner. And I can promise you what's true of your spouse is that they're married to a sinner. Okay? Marriage is the union of two sinners. Every time that two people get married, you've got two sinners saying, I do. And we're bringing... All of, our, all of that to the marriage. Let me tell you something. In marriage, whatever your issues are, they're going to come out. It's all going to come out in the context of marriage. And so, however, you are impacted by your sinful nature, and we're all impacted by our sinful nature, that just we're bent in the direction of, of selfishness, and that comes out. In different ways, okay? In all of our lives, it manifests itself differently. But let me tell you, it's going to come out in marriage. Okay, It just ill. It, it, it is. I mean, all of, your, all of your issues, all of the brokenness that we all have, we, all, we bring that to marriage. And listen, here, here's something more. We're bringing stuff into our marriage. We're bringing issues into our marriage that we don't even know about. I mean, there's stuff that's going on in all of us that we're not, we haven't even fully become aware of ourselves. We bring all of that, all of that to the table in marriage. Okay, so the first reason why marriages go through dark times is because all of us are sinful, broken people. Okay, we bring that to the marriage, but there's something else. We live in a broken world. We live in a world that is not as God originally created it to be. This world is fallen. It's broken. And so, in addition to the pain that we bring on ourselves and the pain that we bring to our marriage because of our sin, there's the pain that comes because we're living in this world that's just broken. Okay, this is a world where tragedies happen, okay, and where illness happens. Happens and where accidents happen and, and, and death happens, okay? Just because we're, we're living in this, in this broken world and just life itself can beat up on you and beat up on the marriage okay? and bring incredible challenges to the marriage. We're called to hold fast to one another through this time. You know, some years ago, I was preaching at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church uh, up in Colonial Heights one night. They were having a special service. And their pastor, Jeff Ginn, who many of you know because Jeff preached here some before I came as your pastor, but Jeff was the pastor at Mount Pleasant at that point. He'd asked me to come up and preach at the special service. And so uh, we were mingling with folks in the church before the service started. And uh, Jeff and I, close friends, he knows I'm a huge baseball fan. And so we're mingling with folks and he asked me, he said, hey, do you know who Johnny Oates is? And I'm like, yeah, I know who Johnny Oates is. He was a manager for the Baltimore Orioles and the Texas Rangers and a great player himself. And, um, and he says he and his wife, Gloria, just walked in. I know you love baseball. I want you to meet him. So I went over and got to talk with them. And um, in addition to talking about baseball, we talked about Johnny's health because I had just seen a feature on him on ESPN that he had been diagnosed with, uh, with brain cancer that in all likelihood was going to be terminal. And so uh, we, we, I, I asked him how he was doing, and, and so we were talking about his, his health and so forth, and you could just see the love that he and his wife Gloria just had for one another. And as we were talking about what he was facing with brain cancer, you could just look at his wife and just see, the look in her eyes said, whatever comes, whatever comes, I'm going to be with you every step of the way. And that night, during the invitation, they came forward together and just knelt together at the altar and, and prayed together. Um, then later on, when, when Johnny did pass, uh, I, I read an article about him and about Gloria, and I saw where he had been there for her as well. A few years earlier, she had been hospitalized with physical and emotional exhaustion. This was the spring of 1995. And Johnny Oates had just been named as manager of the Texas Rangers. Brand new team. He was at the pinnacle of his career. The season is just beginning. And there's this crisis in his wife's life. He took a leave of absence. You know, he said, somebody else can make, up the, make out the lineup card for, for a while. Somebody else can make, call relief pitchers in. Somebody else can deal with the press. Nobody else can be Gloria's husband. But me, and he stood by her, and the Rangers stood by him. In fact, that year he was American League Manager of the Year. That's the way that we're to love one another in marriage, you know. through Through those through those dark times, uh, we're to hold fast to one another with a committed love. Aren't you glad that Jesus has loved you that way? Jesus has loved us through the dark times. In fact when all of the darkness in the world converged on Him, and it was our darkness, our sin, when all of that converged upon Jesus on an old rugged cross, He stayed committed to our need, to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for the Gospel. We thank You that that You have loved us with a commitment that is unwavering. Father, we pray that you help us to love one another that way. We pray that You would help us to model in the context of marriage, to model in the context of, of friendships, to model in the context of the people that we work with every day, to model in the context of family life and of the church family. Help us to model Spirit-filled, humble, others centered relationships help us to do that knowing that we have been loved that way that that Christ left the glory that was his and became a servant humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even death on a cross for us we pray that you'd help us to put others first, to, 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 uh, to, to love others in the way that we have been so incredibly loved by you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today and you've got spiritual questions, God's working in your heart about inquiring about a relationship with Him. We don't want you to leave here without being able to talk with someone about it. In just a moment, we're going to have a song of invitation. You can come and share with me or talk with with me or one of our staff after the service. Or maybe you're here and God's speaking to you about being a part of this church family. We want to welcome you. We want our folks to meet you. We want to invite you to come today. If there's a need in your life, you want to pray with someone. We don't want you to leave here without being prayed for. So let's stand together as we sing. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.